I got to tell you, I was thinking about our trip to lovely Santa Rosa, California uh, this past November to speak at the Charles Schultz Museum. And one memory stood right out to me. Uh, And and I got to tell you, it opened up a whole lot of like uh, uh, thoughts and feelings just about life in general. When we do you remember driving up to the Piner Cafe for breakfast that Saturday morning? Ah, Such a good breakfast. Uh, we went up there, uh, we, we were going to perform later on that day, and we wanted to have a really good breakfast because it was going to be an entire day of sound checks and making sure equipment worked and doing all of this stuff. And and we pulled up and we, we I don't know how earlier, like I, we might have been a half an hour before their opening time, yeah. and we didn't know that until we pulled up. We pulled up, walked up to the door, and uh, it was locked, right? So we're like, nah, we'll find someplace else. Maybe we'll go over and find a Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. You know, I'm sure there's something. Yeah. And the, uh, the woman inside saw us at the door and started waving us back. Like we were walking back to the Toyota Tacoma. She starts waving us back. And we're like, we're, we're doing pantomime now, right? No, no, that's okay. That's a, you know what? And she's like, get in here. She opens the door, comes up. We're like, listen, we don't want to put you out. You know, you're, you're getting prepped. She says, listen, I came here to work. I might as well work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sit down. She says, I got the coffee started. Everything's good. Don't worry about it. And it just makes you absolutely. I, I always love to find a place like that wherever I travel. Uh, a mom and pop place, a, a, a family run, whether, whether it's a restaurant or any other place, a family run place. Because you know that uh, you, you just you end up getting treated better than you are any other place. The food's going to be way better than a chain. It's just I, I love finding a mom and pop place. Absolutely. I mean, the, the the very fact that she knew she had no food ready for us. The chef might, by the way, showed up like 10, 15 minutes later. But yeah. she's like, I'll get the coffee for you. You'll sit. You'll be warm. We'll have pleasant yeah. conversation while I put out all the salt and pepper shakers. And uh, and that's exactly what we did. But like at a corporate level, you would never have that at 8 a.m. They'd be like, look, Dunkin Donuts says we open at eight. We open at eight. I'm not opening up these doors at 755. Right. Uh, and right. but on uh, a mom and pop, you absolutely find that sort of. And like it, it is a fading part, I think, of uh, Americana that we don't have as many mom and pops as we used to. I feel like. Yeah, and not only that, I, I, like we've got some places here in Philly that we always try to support, as well, especially through the pandemic. It was like we got to make sure we have, we were looking for reasons to get takeout anyway, but we were like <laughs> we got to make sure that these folks stay in business. Uh, but here's the here's the thing you look for, Dave. When you walk into a place and you see somebody who is clearly the owner's kids sitting at the table over by the door doing their homework. You know that you're going to get great food. <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're in the right place. It's going to be fantastic tasting food. And the money that you spend there is going to go not to some corporate guy who's saving up for his next yacht, not for somebody who's, who's, who's putting his money in an offshore numbered bank account. The money you're spending is going to go to that kid sitting there to their college uh, education, to their college fund. And that makes the food even taste better yet. When you find a place like that, in my opinion, you keep you keep swinging around there every chance you get because those places are disappearing and you don't get treated as well any place else you go. Yeah, my I mean, my favorite is when you find a 12 or 13 year old running the till and they're like, OK, yeah. here's your order. And you're like, you know that they're working for mom and dad after school, helping out like it's yeah. a, it's a it's a beautiful thing. When you we had a couple of friends uh, growing up that had that uh, in their life where they helped mom and dad at the restaurant. 
And uh, it's a it's a it's a cool family way to do it. You know, like the whole gang pitches in and and uh, and helps out. But yeah, you're right that you're that you're ringing up that 11 year old and, and also helping to pay for their college down the line. I only have one complaint about that place. By the, the way, the, the, the sausage biscuits and eggs uh, were, were fantastic. Uh, the sausage gravy, the biscuits, all of it was good. The food was great. The coffee was amazing. Uh, even the advertisements on the table were good. I have one complaint, one complaint about that place. Piner Cafe. They called it the Piner Cafe. The right. Piner Diner was sitting right there, wet, ready to be used, <laughs> ready to put up on the marquee. They call it the Piner Cafe. I'm not sure I'll ever forgive them for the that. Piner Diner. Wow. Piner How could they diner. swing and miss on that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, my God. It was You're right. right there. Piner Cafe. Why didn't they call it the Piner Diner? I, 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 I'm, I'm transfixed. I'm transfixed. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a change in the name of your diner and <laughs> making a living from comics. My name is Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Inc. Uh, the finer di- Piner Diner? I mean, how, it, it, how, how nothing could be finer than the Piner Diner. Nothing could be finer than to eat at Piner Diner. You could have a yes. whole pitch. Oh, oh my God. God. I'm his friend. I'm his friend Dave Kellett, but all equally frustrated cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So, Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. And a reminder that this show and all shows are going out live to our friends over at patreon.com slash comic lab at the live gab level. Level, I always say it. Ah, the live gab. It's a hard one. Live gab level is live gab level. You can be joining us to watch the live stream every week. And there is a concurrent chat running alongside the, uh, the live stream. And if you happen to miss it for life, love or learning, the show is archived every week. So you can watch the live stream later on. Uh, and Brad, what is our first big topic for today? My friend? Well, the first big topic, uh, that, that we want to talk about is Amazon is slashing these, uh, the staff of comiXology by like 75%. Did you read about this not too long ago yes yes yeah they're making a big cut uh and a 75 layoffs and uh, it's 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 really hitting some people uh by surprise so we, I, I i i i was on my twitter feed uh, uh along with all of this conversation pops up cory doctorow and cory uh, I believe has deep roots in in web comics and and just uh, is a very very smart person as an author now doing all kinds of books talking about these kinds of subjects. Right. I reached out to Corey to uh, talk to him when he wrote uh, a brilliant piece uh, that I found out about on Twitter. You can read it on his website pluralistic.net and I'll put the uh, I'll put the hyperlink in the show notes but his site is pluralistic.net. And he wrote about something called inshitification of social media. Inshitification. Okay. Yeah. We really want to talk about this because it goes to a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this show all the time. Now, uh, I reached out to Corey, asked him if he'd like to come on the show and talk about this first person, obviously. Uh, he's on a book tour right now, and from the sounds of his schedule, there's just no way he could possibly do it. 
Uh, but yeah, we, if your choice, we, Brett, if your choice is CNN or Comic Lab, you do CNN. Listen, let's be honest. Let's be yeah. honest. Well, just just on you know alphabetical nature uh, alone, you've got to do CNN <laughs> you go. first. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, so he's talking about how platforms die, and they all go through a cycle that Corey calls inshitification. And this has such it goes from social media platforms. It applies to uh, uh, merchandising platforms like Amazon. Uh, it, it goes down the line. And once you start to see this, I think you can start to make some better decisions on uh, using this, some more uh, rational decisions on using this. Because this absolutely directly applies to the things we use in our day to day and week to week careers as web cartoonists. And so, yeah, I, I, I absolutely would love to dive into this because. I think this has a direct impact in how we plan for the future and how we treat the platforms that we use. Yes, yes, it, it really does. So I'm going to be quoting extensively from Cor- uh, from Corey's column here. Uh, and so uh, consider the rest of this me reading directly from Corey's uh, <laughs> from his dissertation. And I'll do credit to Corey on this because the, yes. the, the, the crystallization of these ideas is are all oh. are all due to Corey on this. It's one of those things that once he starts talking about it, you're like, oh, my God, I, I've seen that. It's like pulling the veil back. It's like yes. I saw it, but I didn't know what it was. In fact, one of them, I'm going to take the hit on directly because uh, it's it. I, I absolutely fell for this. But here's here's Corey talking. Here's how platforms die. First, they're good to their users. Then they abuse your users to make things better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse the business customers to claw back all of the value for themselves. And then they die. And it's a cycle that they all go through. Everything that you're seeing online right now is at one stage of that circle. Okay, here's Corey again. I call this in shitification, and it is a seemingly inevitable consequence arising from the combination of the ease of changing how a platform allocates value combined with the nature of a, quote, two-sided market, unquote, where a platform sits between buyers and sellers, mm-hmm. hold each other hostage raking off an even larger share of that value as it passes between them, right? So they get the sellers on one hand, the buyers on the other hand, hold them both hostage. And then once they got them where they want them, they claw back all of that value. Yep. And, th- and like a quick example of that would be Facebook's like saying Dave Kellett or Brad Geiger has five, 10, 50,000 followers on Facebook. Yeah. Well, my post can't get to those people unless I pay They're They are the, the, the guardrails between customer and seller there in terms yeah. of even sharing free content. Yeah, uh, he goes through now. He's going to go through and, and, and in this next part, just speak specifically about Amazon. And it's worth talking about to kind of get into detail here. Sure. Speaking about Amazon. Quote, when a platform starts, it needs its users, so it makes itself valuable to a user. Think of Amazon. For many years, it operated at a loss, using its access to the capital markets to subsidize everything you bought. It sold goods below cost and shipped them below cost. It operated a clean and useful search. If you search for a product, Amazon tried its damnedest to put it at the top of the search results. This was a hell of a good deal for Amazon's customers. Lots of us piled in and lots of brick and mortar retailers withered and died, making it hard to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Amazon sold us ebooks and audiobooks that were permanently locked into its platform with DRM. That's digital rights management. 
so that every dollar we spent on media was a dollar we'd have to give up if we deleted Amazon and its apps. Amazon sold us Prime, getting us to prepay for a year's worth of shipping. Prime customers start their shopping on Amazon, and 90% of the time, they don't search anywhere else. Continuing on with his... uh, Uh, column here. That tempted in a lot of business customers, marketplace sellers who turned Amazon into the everything store it had promised from the beginning. And these sellers piled in. Amazon shifted to subsidizing suppliers. Kindle and Audible creators got generous packages. Marketplace sellers reached a huge audience and Amazon took low commissions from them. This strategy meant that it became progressively harder for shoppers to find things anywhere except Amazon, which meant that they only searched on Amazon, which meant that sellers had to sell on Amazon. Sound Mm -hmm. familiar? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It should. That's when Amazon started to harvest the surplus from its business customers and send it to Amazon's shareholders. Today, marketplace sellers are handing 45% of the sale price to Amazon in junk fees. The company's $31 billion advertising program is really a payola scheme that pits sellers against each other, forcing them to bid on the chance to be at the top of your search. Okay, searching a... Continuing with quoting, searching Amazon doesn't produce a list of the products that most closely match your search. It brings up a list of products where sellers have paid the most to be at the top of that search. Those fees are built into the cost you pay for the product, and Amazon's most favored nation required sellers mean that they can't sell more cheaply elsewhere, so Amazon has driven prices at every retailer. Okay, so this is what Corey says is this is in shitification. Surpluses are first directed to users. Then once they're locked in, surpluses go to the business uh, people and then it's handed to the shareholders Mm -hmm. and (laughs) the, the platform becomes useless. Okay, now, once you see this in action, it, it becomes really kind of, uh, obvious, right? Yes. Here's the part where he had my jaw drop, Dave. All right. Cause he goes on, he talks about Facebook and so forth. We're going to bring it back to this. Uh, and again, going back to quoting Corey, but what if there's no underlying logic or more to the point, what if the logic shifts based on the platform's priorities? If you go walking down the midway at your county fair, you'll spot some poor sucker walking around all day with a giant teddy bear that they won by throwing three balls in a peach basket. The peach basket is a rigged game. The carny can use a hidden switch to force the balls to bounce out of the basket. No one wins a giant teddy bear unless the carny wants them to win it. Why did the carny let the sucker win the giant teddy bear? So that he would carry it around all day, convincing other suckers to put five bucks down for their chance to win one. The carny allocated a giant teddy bear to that poor sucker the way that big platforms allocate surpluses to key performers as a convincer in a big store con, a way to rope in other suckers who will make content for that platform, anchoring themselves and their audiences to it, which oh brings God. me to TikTok, he says. Now listen to this. Uh, but wait, what made TikTok a success early on? The power of its recommendation system. From the start, TikTok was really, really good at recommending things. Mm-hmm. By making good faith recommendations of things that thought its users would like, TikTok 
built a mass audience larger than anyone thought possible. Now that TikTok has that audience, it is consolidating its gains and seeking to lure away the media companies and creators who are still stubbornly attached to YouTube and Insta. Yesterday, listen to this, Dave. Yesterday, Forbes's Emily Baker White broke a fantastic story about how that actually works inside of ByteDance, TikTok's parent company, citing multiple internal sources revealing the existence of a, quote, heating tool, unquote, that TikTok employees use to push videos from selected accounts into millions of users' feeds. This is according, again, to uh, 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 Forbes's uh, reporting. Uh, Quoting Corey again, these videos go directly into TikTok users' four-year feeds, which TikTok misleadingly describes as being populated by videos ranked by an algorithm. In in reality, four-year is only sometimes composed of videos that TikTok thinks will add to value to your experience. The rest of the time, it's full of videos that TikTok has inserted in order to make creators think that TikTok is a great place to use an audience quote sources told Forbes that TikTok has often used heating to court influencers and brands, enticing them into partnerships by inflating their videos view count. This suggests that heating has potentially benefited some influencers and brands, those with whom TikTok has sought business relationships at the expense of others with whom it has not. In other words, TikTok is handing out giant teddy bears. Now, at this point, I want you to turn to an episode earlier of Comic Lab titled Brad Geiger is a TikTok star and realize (laughs) that this dumb sucker was walking around with a giant teddy bear that day that his video went. Go back and listen to that. Listen to me go uh, go agog over uh, how viral I had gone. And man, TikTok is the next best. They had me hook, line, and sinker, right? Uh, with, and of course the only thing I will, I, and I'll, I've told you a million times, if I'm a dummy, I'll be the first one to come on the show and say, well, I got that one wrong. I was a, I was a big dummy. Uh, what was that? What was that one social media we talked about that had us for like five minutes? Uh, we, we noped out of that very quickly, oh, the be real, be real. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, you know, I, I'll tell you, I was dumb about that one too. Yep. The only smart thing I did was very quickly once I once I saw every video that I posted after that was not getting engagement very soon by the end of the I think the next couple months, I'm like, nah, this <laughs> clearly, clearly whatever I'm doing here, I'm not a good fit for. And I jumped out I, instead of staying with TikTok yeah. with video after video after video very quickly. I did figure it out for myself. But this whole idea of walking around with a giant teddy bear smacked me in the face and it's why, and 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 if you want, I, I kind of skipped and jumped. Corey has an amazing dissertation. He talks about Facebook. He talks about that uh, court case where Facebook uh, uh, was, had been uh, inflating people's video counts. Remember, we talked about that on the show right. and it had people fooled into thinking their videos were going wider than they actually were. Uh, he talks about all that stuff. You want to go to pluralistic.net for the full thing. But I wanted to talk about it here so we can use it as part of our ongoing talk about social media and and using social media without getting caught up into being like me, the guy with the jetty, giant teddy bear. Well, first of all, for, thank you for being honest, but it's not just you. The mea culpa is there's a lot to go around. 
a couple years before you uh, went nuts on TikTok, remember I had a year there where I was like, Brad, I'm telling you, Instagram is the place to be. Uh, yeah. And I had, I don't know for those longtime listeners remember that I was like, I'm going to set a goal within the next six months to get to 10,000 Instagram followers because that's when they let you do the advertising. If you remember, Brad, they have some mm-hmm. sort of setting. It's somewhere around 10 or 15,000 people where then yeah. you can start to advertise and link out. First of all, what a stupid uh, uh, gatekeeping that is in terms of uh, yeah. keeping people on platform. But I did it. I did it a couple months and then kept growing. And I was like, Brad, look at me. I'm at 40,000. This is incredible. Well, you guys, you all got to get on Instagram. It's grow, grow, grow. Nothing but up on Instagram. And then Sucker McGee over here, and this is my Mia culpa, realized, yeah. and it took me a couple of years, oh, I can't do crap with those 40,000 people. I I can't get them to go anywhere. I can't get them to buy anything. Yeah. I can't get them off platform, all by design. I yes. was the idiot walking around with the big uh, bear going, oh, yeah, this is a great carny. You're going to love it. You, you, We can all win at this carnival. I yeah. was the guy yeah, yeah. walking around with the big bear just like Brad was with TikTok. And, that, and, and all of that is to say is – they are playing on our psychology of the perceived win that is not yeah. a win um, uh, in order to get their platform growth up. And um, I like you, that image of a carny uh, uh, letting one person win the gigantic bear yeah. as advertising really gets you in the gut because you realize you've been that sucker that yes. thought you won big by getting the, the teddy bear only to realize that you were the advertising for other people to do the thing. That's right. Uh, so what do you do with this information? All right. The, the whole idea of Comic Lab is actionable information, right? So I right. just told you a whole bunch of stuff. Now, what do you do with it? Well, I'm going to give you uh, one suggestion. Dave, maybe you want to uh, uh, chime in with one of your own. But uh, I'll tell you what this did for me. It really solidified something that that when Twitter really took a massive downturn in December and I and and t- Frankly, in my eyes, it has not come back in terms no. of engagement. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm getting lots of new users, uh, three quarters of which are clearly bots. Are like his, the, the, my latest uh, uh, Twitter follower, his name might as well be, uh, you know, a Clicky McRobot McGee because it's, Clicky it's, McRobot. I swear to God, he's got antennas and he's got dials for eyes. And oh, I don't know his, why Clicky McRobot oh, got me. That's funny as hell. Just, Clicky McRobot. So clearly not people. Anyway, uh, so it was something I started really preaching on this show was unilateral social media. First of all, step number one, and and by the way, I did this on Twitter just a couple of weeks ago. People are pissing and moaning about the, the, the like Twitter now has a for you page. They're trying to be more like TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. So now they've got a for you page, and I see people pissing and moaning about this on Twitter all the time. And I say, hey, listen, here's the thing: if you want to not be upset by this anymore, do what I do: take it off your phone. Right. Take it, take it right off your phone. And part of that is like, I will check in with uh, Twitter. I don't, I, I don't know the last time I went to twitter.com. I use TweetDeck, which in TweetDeck, you can very, uh, uh, in a granular way, control what you see. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. get any for you stuff on TweetDeck. It, no, it, me there's either. no way I for it to show up. I control what I'm seeing on, on Twitter using TweetDeck, which is a Twitter tool. So it's not even like you're using third party. I'm going to make this suggestion to you. Go to a unilateral social media. I've done it, and I'm telling you, I haven't had any uh, drop-off in my business. I've been happier as a human being 
And I've, I, by the way, I found other things to do. And here's what the unilateral social media means. You take this shit off your phone. You schedule a little bit of time every day to uh, schedule uh, social media posts. You can use a third party app like later.com or Hootsuite. Frankly, if you're smart, you, you can you can set this stuff up using the proprietary software. Twitter has TweetDeck. Uh, going to business.facebook.com, you can schedule both Facebook and Instagram posts uh, without going third party. Or if you prefer to go third party, go third party. Uh, I schedule all this stuff to post when I want it to post. And then I close it off of my desktop and I don't think about it again. I go do other things. I've, I've, I now, I've, 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 in a dumb way, I've, I've kind of uh, replaced it with other social media, which is, I'm not sure how smart that is. I'm reading a lot more Reddit than I used to read, for example, mm-hmm. but I take the big three, take them right off and I check in and here's what happens. I come in the next day. If anybody's commented, I'll comment. I'll respond at that point because again, I'm not so dumb as to keep believing what they told us in 2015 that you got to respond right away to keep that algorithm going. Cause I know that's all bullshit and probably was only true for about five minutes in 2015. Yep. In the first place, I respond to whoever and it needs responding. I do whatever business I need to do. And then I get off again. My business has been perfectly fine. I haven't had any lower engagement. I certainly haven't had any higher engagement, uh, but engagement had stalled a long time ago on Twitter anyway. This is a re- every if, if you need a reason to do what I've been telling you to do for months, take Corey's p- post and put it in your head. That's your reason. This is a good reason to do what I've been t- telling you to do for a couple months. Unilateral social media. And and again, while we're while we're talking about where we've been dummies in life, uh, yeah. I want to say that I this is a part where I took Brad's advice. And I want to tell you in the same way that I took it from my friend to take Twitter off your phone, uh, take Instagram. Well, you can't take Instagram off your phone, which, by the way, is brilliant design on their part. But uh, take Twitter off your phone because um, as Brad just got done saying, I got happier. I didn't realize how much I was chasing a weird sort of uh, Las Vegas type serotonin hit every time I was on social media. And I think... Brad, can someone attest to this? Because I've been talking about my productivity levels lately. I think my productivity is starting to bounce back once I got Twitter off my phone. But I know in my heart of hearts, and I'm saying this to you as friends, my happiness level is up as I got Twitter off my phone. Um, I didn't realize how much I was chasing that sort of treadmill of of reaction um, that was increasingly uh, less uh, than it was the day before or the week before the year before. Um, yeah. All of which is to say, take Brad's advice. This is great. And I'm, I, I, I want to go back for a second, Brad, to that idea of the carnival teddy bear, just yeah. to, to, to really illustrate a point of how we were all played, Brad and I included, emotionally, yeah. even if we didn't, we didn't succumb to it. But when NFTs were first coming around, mm. do you remember how the media was fed stories? Yes. Of, look at this guy. And I don't remember what his name was. He was a digital artist out of Norway or something. And he's like, oh, yeah. look, it's digi- digital beepy bop. And he sold for, <laughs> he sold his entire collection for a hundred million dollars and yeah. all with NFTs. Look yes. at that. I mean, look at that in, in terms of Corey's construction. That yeah. guy was the media version yes. of the guy walking around the carnival with the giant teddy bear. Yeah. They let beepy boppy or whatever his name was sell his digital collection for a hundred million dollars so that everyone else would pile in. It was like the Walmart loss leader to get people in the door. 
Yeah. And it was always a crappy artist. And, and, yes, I, and I think was all- that was, I think that was on purpose too. Every time you saw somebody who had made millions in NFTs, you looked at their art and it was horrible. And that was on purpose because yep. you immediately, you thought, well, if that guy made a million with my art, I'll make 3 million, right? That's, that was on purpose. I think I, Corey actually spends a little bit of time in this piece talking about uh, crypto and NFTs and stuff and how this applies directly to that. I'm going to rewind real quick because you said you can't take uh, Instagram off your phone. You actually can. I took it off six months ago and I've been posting on Instagram ever since. You just, you can post on Instagram through Facebook. Oh, I have to, uh, you know what it is? I took Facebook out of my life a couple years ago and boy, was that Ah, a big joy. So, okay, but maybe I need to reactivate. Then that's your only route. In order to, okay, well, that's good to know. Okay, really? I could post from Facebook on Instagram to Instagram because I got to yeah. tell you, Facebook is a time sink too. I look up, I'm like, why am I on here? This is dumb. Yeah. And it's all horrible. Yeah, I know. I, I Facebook has been the easiest one to di- divorce from because the content is, I, it's the furthest along the inshittification pathway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The content is just terrible. Instagram, I could get caught up in a little bit if I if I allowed myself to, right? But Facebook, it's not even tempting anymore. It, it, everything, the stuff that you read is just terrible. Uh, but but there's something to learn there too. Instagram's going to get to that same point. Twitter's going to get to that same point because they're, they're they're all doing the same thing. They're all clawing back that uh, value that they had set right. out as a lure. For both us and the business side, you know, users and business, now they're clawing it all back, and and the uh, the victim is gonna is the content. And so again, going back to what Brad said, is that on Comic Lab we try to. Uh, uh give actionable advice that you can take. And so one of Brad's great bits of actionable advice is take Twitter off your phone, take Instagram off your phone. And I would say this, which is that just keep a wary eye on platforms that we also use and how that where they are in the inshittification process for their shareholders and in terms of their business model. And so for me personally, that means I'm also keeping a wary eye on Patreon and Kickstarter because at some point I've, I've said this for years at some point, that that payment comes due for those angel yep. investors and those VC uh, investors for Patreon. And at some point, they're going to have to do in shitification on their users and their creators. Now, it hasn't happened yet. So right. far, I have loved my Patreon experience. The rubber mm-hmm. has hit the road effectively and they do what they say they do and they say what they do, are going to do. And it, uh, all all that said, I do keep an eye on on Twitter and, or excuse me on Patreon and Kickstarter because that's another platform where my loyalty is to my readers, my users, my 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 folks that I interact with. It's not yeah. to the platform. So if Patreon starts down this process of inshittification, well, then we start looking for option B. Uh, if Kickstarter starts yep. down the process of inshittification, well, we start looking because again, the loyalty is not to the platform; it's to the users and the readers and the enjoyers right. of your art. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. And and it's and it's going to come for us all. I mean, it. I, I literally cringe when I hear Patreon because I've got I make no secret. I've got a real love for Patreon and Kickstarter, too. Kickstarter was a big turn in all of our business plans, but it's something that you've got to keep an eye on. And and remember, Kickstarter uh, uh, didn't didn't do magic. What they did was they proved that you could crowdfund uh, merchandise a certain way. Right. If Kickstarter gets to the point where they start clawing back uh, value, it, 
they, they're not magic. You go to the next platform. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you go to the next thing. Patreon, the same thing. Patreon wasn't magic. Patreon proved that people will pay for content on a subscription basis. Mm-hmm. That's really what they did. There was no magic there. They, they made it possible. They made it cool. And they and they made it something people wanted to do at. But now that the 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 genie is out of the bottle, they don't have a magic uh, 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 hold on this. If something happens, you just move on that same subscription model using a different provider. Uh, and and that's what each of us is probably going to have to do at some point. It, 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 because all of this uh, capitalism <laughs> works in very definite ways. And sooner or later, like Dave says, this is going to happen to them, too. Yeah. And so as we wrap this up, I just want to give a, another shout out and a thank you to Corey, uh, Corey Doctorow, for this, for leading this entire discussion with his excellent thoughts. And Brad, would you do me a favor and read his URL one more time so people can go read from the source? Absolutely. You'll find all of his stuff at Pluralistic. Dot net pluralistic uh, uh, as in you know as a uh, uh, the opposite of singular as is plural pluralistic.net hey if you're listening while you work take a minute to stand and stretch and while you're doing that we're going to tell you why you should join us on patreon when you do you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers and exclusive patreon posts that go even deeper on comic lab topics and access to our exclusive discord server which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists so you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning and listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. All right, Brad, well, our updates for this week. Uh, the first update we kind of already mentioned in passing, which is that uh, the Comixology uh it really is a shame, um, I, and I mainly just want to talk about it in passing, which is another example of why you want to own and control your business, mm-hmm. because this is another example of a corporation for, for reasons that maybe we'll never understand, bought something maybe to kill it, if we're being honest about it. Yes. Um, uh, and so Comixology, I remember when I was at Angoulême in France uh, with Stripped, uh, we were, they were showing the movie there, and I talked with the CEO of, of uh, Comixology, and he was like, you got to bring it over. It's comics, obviously, where it's at. It's the future of digital comics. <laughs> Look at how easy it is to read things. And to be honest, the original version of Comicsology had some really cool stuff. And yeah. it was really neat. But I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm really happy to own and control my own direct content with my readers. And when I start giving that up, I start losing how I can sell them the next book. Because yeah. what if Comicsology? And he's like, all right, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, all this to say, though, is that I didn't go the comicsology route. And uh, looking back on it, I have zero regrets because I maintained my communication channels between myself and my readers and my readers and myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, comicsology is another example of that inshittification of like extracting value until you've killed the thing itself. Yeah. And I think that's what's happened with comicsology, unfortunately, is that Amazon has killed the thing. It, it, I'm glad you brought it around back to that r- really quick because I want to make one quick point about that. There was a time that if you talked about the algorithm, most people didn't really know what you were talking about, right? I mean, if you talked about, ah, the algorithm's really beating me up uh, on social media, there was a time that your audience wouldn't really quite 
grok what you're talking about. Now, today, everybody's kind of uh, hip to what the algorithm is and what it does and how it works. I'm going to I'm going to make a, a little bit of a prediction that DRM is going to be something that more and more people understand as time goes by. That's oh, digital yeah. rights management. Remember, in the Dr. O piece, he talked about how uh, Amazon uh, kept dig, uh, digital rights management so that once you bought all these books on Audible, you can't leave because you literally lose money because you don't get to take it with you. Any ebook that Dave or I distribute either through a Kickstarter or through uh, drivethroughcomics.com or anything like that is DRM free, meaning you get the download, you get right. the PDF on your desktop or on your phone and you keep it. Yes, that opens us up to a certain degree of people sharing the PDF and so forth. I get that. But I got a feeling that as this whole inshittification cycle wears on, the same way uh, your common garden variety reader understands what the algorithm is, they're going to start to understand what DRM is as well and what it means to them. Mm -hmm. What that means for you in your next Kickstarter campaign uh, is to really hammer home that what you're offering is DRM free ebooks and e-comics. Uh, get used to saying that and, and get used to doing a little one sentence explainer to catch people up with what that means, because I think that that phrase and that business practice is going to just increase in value uh, uh, at, over the next several years. Yeah. And and this comicsology uh, implosion is kind of a perfect example of how DRM could uh, destroy all of your library. It's the equivalent of, of, for those of us that lived through it, when you had yeah. all these movies on DVD and yeah. then we all moved to streaming and digital. And then you had this entire library that was essentially useless. And for many of us, we had to buy it again because yes. we went from DVD to digital digital streaming. And so uh, in, in a little bit for the, the, for the folks that are on Comixology, you can see the beginnings of a potential death circle for yeah. Comixology where it's going around the drain there, um, where Amazon might just let it die on the Fine within five years. And so yeah. um, anyway, all that being said, let me jump over with DRM to our second update. Uh, speaking of Kickstarters, because I want to talk yeah. about the fact that we just finished fulfilling my Kickstarter for my dinosaurs book, my most recent uh, Kickstarter book. And thank you again to everyone who backed it. But I wanted to say this is that we've now fulfilled the Kickstarter, but there are 20 people that I never heard back from on, hey, we need your address, right? This happens with every Kickstarter, by the way. Yes. I've done 16 of them now, and every <laughs> Kickstarter, there's 10, 20, 30, sometimes as many as 50 people you never hear yeah. back from. And so the update that I want to share for everyone on the show in terms of actionable things you can rely on is that I won't hear from these people, these 20 people for five years. And then I will get an email saying, hey, where's my book? <laughs> it drives me bonkers every yeah. time because I've messaged them. I've emailed them. I've done internal DMs through the Kickstarter system. I've done it through updates on the Kickstarter system. And, yeah. for, and I'll do it, by the way, five, six, seven times for a couple of months. I don't want to, right. you know, I won't go forever just because my own time and bugging them. I can't yeah. go forever. But then five years will go by and then I'll get this email being like, hey, you never sent me my book. And I want to pull my hair out because I tried multiple ways to contact them. And I just want to give you all an update that this, this happens with every Kickstarter to every person who's Kickstarting. Expect it, plan for it. Always make sure that you have four or five copies of whatever it is lying around so that in kindness you can fulfill. Uh, uh, I tend to allow it 
uh, years later, there are some people that actually put a cutoff date that say, listen, if you haven't gotten back to me within three yeah. years, yeah. Uh, and and uh, there's a part of me morally that's like, ah, I can see why you would do that. But another part of me morally, it's like, I don't know if that's the right way to do that. Yeah. So I don't I, I won't make a judgment on them, but I fulfill even five, six, seven years later. But just the update is that will happen to you when you kickstart. You will have people that go radio silent for a thousand reasons in their life. And you'll hear from them three, five years later and say, hey, where's my book? Yeah. And 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 then yeah, I kind of stand with Dave. If you've got the book in your in your uh, in your warehouse, then ship it out to them. But uh, geez, it it really is amazing. Uh, (laughs) Some of our readers and users, we, we love them so much because they are why our business works. But you look at them and it's like you you kickstarted this book. You, you, you pledged five years ago. What, what, what happened? What was happening? Were you in a coma? You know, where, where were you to out walking the earth? What was going on for five years? But yeah, it, 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 and, and by the way, Dave's right. It happens in every Kickstarter. It'll probably happen a few times to you as well. Uh, and, and, and all you can do is just kind of do what Dave does. Uh, Reach out to him as much as you can try and make sure you're doing your due diligence and then move on. Absolutely. Well, Brad, let's jump into our first question this week. This comes in from Tyler over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Tyler writes, hey, guys, what can webcomic artists like us do for free comic book day? Have either of you done anything in the past, like giving away an ebook or even free physical copies of your older books? And Brad, that question I'm going to direct to you because I imagine there's some vim and vigor behind your answer about free comic book day. <laughs> well, I got to admit, my you could do what I do. You could do what I do. I, I always do this on free comic book day. I'll, I'll, I'll I, I almost religiously, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, like clockwork on free comic book day. I will go out and uh, I, I will drop to my knees. I'll, I'll case, I'll cast my eyes heavenward. And, and I'll thank whatever gods that are up there at the time uh, that I, I'll thank them. I don't have to participate <laughs> in free comic book day or anything else that really has to do with uh, 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 dealing with a bookstore or a comic book shop uh, because it doesn't fit the business that I'm in. Right. That's not the business right. that I'm in. I, I, I love bookstores. I love going to bookstores. I love comic shops. I, I will go out of my way to shop at a comic sh- shop as a consumer. I love going to a comic shop. Uh, I, I, I don't get it twisted. But for my business, that's that's not a, a big part of work of how my business plan is structured. And I'm very happy that way. I'm very happy that 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 is the case because uh, it works very well for me. Uh, so I don't I, I, I don't participate in free comic book day uh, unless I, I drop by and, and pick up from some free comics for myself, uh, which I actually haven't done in years and years. But I would be maybe tempted to. Uh, but that would be as far as I go. What about you, Dave? What do, what do you do for free comic book day? No, I think you hit it exactly on the head, which is you got to know what business you're in. And I, I'm not in the business of promoting foot traffic into a comic book shop, which is what yeah. free comic book day is. Yeah. It's, hey, let's get feet into a comic book shop that don't normally go in because we're going to offer free comics so that you buy comics. Um, yeah. And that's the lost leader that con- uh, that everyone in that industry is is working together to create. It's it's Diamond, it's printers and it's comic book shops all working mm-hmm. together together. Uh, to say, hey, let's get increased foot traffic for one day out of the year into comic book shops 
so that we can help our, our dying business. And so <laughs> um, uh, I'm not in that business. My business is to give away my comics for free. Uh, I've said this before. Let's do some roundhouse math here. I, I give it away for free to, let's say, 100,000 people so yeah. that 10,000 people become fans so that 1,000 of them become super fans and buy a book. And that's yeah. my business model. So my business model is to give it away 365 days a year for free. Uh, and in fact, give away my entire archives. You could read pretty much everything I've ever created for free. That's yes. over 5,000 comics at this point for free. You could read them and never give me a dime. Uh, and uh, and so I don't see the need to give any additional um, free item away on that day, especially because the point of that day, as I made clear before, is to put foot uh, traffic into shops. And that's not yeah. what I do. I, I don't yeah. partake in Diamond. I don't partake in comic book shops uh, for a billion reasons that we could go into. But that's not that's not my game. Yeah. And and if you're if you're doing a monthly comic that shows up in comic shops, then I could see that sure. you'd be tempted to participate because then you want to participate in getting people used to going to a comic shop. That but but that's not most of us uh, as independent comics are artists. That's not what we do. Most of us don't have a monthly title that's showing up in comic shops. Uh, that the, but let's unpack this even further so we can understand uh, making good decisions. That, yes. That, at the heart of it, what's happening here is this person is seeing the word comic in free comic day, right? Or free comic book day. They're seeing the word comic. Right. They do a comic. So they feel they need to be involved in this. And this is a question of knowing what business you're really in. Okay. And, we, and that's why we need to discuss this a little bit, because here's what I'm going to tell you. Every time McDonald's has a sale on hamburgers, you don't see a representatives from Morton Steakhouse standing in the drive through line saying, oh, you like beef? Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody does that. Morton's, Morton's knows that they're in one job and McDonald's is in another. Morton's isn't going to try to pick up McDonald's customers and McDonald's isn't going to stand in front of Morton Steakhouse and say, hey, you know, if you like beef, come try a quarter pounder with cheese. You've got to know what your business is. You're not in that business. <laughs> there's a, there's no upside for you. Let's let's say that you've got a few books on commission there. You've got a couple graphic novels. Uh, you, you, you're planning on distributing uh, through Diamond to uh, to a comic shop at some time. It's still not to your best interest to get involved in that. Your best interest is selling directly and to and to make those pathways happen by owning and controlling your own work, by making your website uh, work, by making your email marketing uh, uh, slick. All of those things are to your best interest. Getting involved in somebody else's uh, situation like Free Comic Book Day really is not to your best interest. And I'll go one step further, is that if you are selling into independent bookshops from, let's say you're in Diamond, you, you're independently producing a book that you've gotten into Diamond and you're distributing it, my advice to you would be, don't do a dang thing on free comic book day. Just take advantage of the fact that bigger players than you that operate on a far bigger scale than you do are bringing foot traffic into comic book shops and yeah. say, hooray, maybe I'll get some crumbs off of that. Because again, your scale is not right to produce a 10,000 free run of comic books that you're going to distribute to comic book shops. 
you're just not operating at the same scale that like the Simpsons comic or the SpongeBob comic. Because let's be honest, a lot of the comics that are distributed on free comic book day are geared towards early or new readers of comics. That's yeah. for a reason. They're trying yeah. to bring in the next generation of comic book readers. So, hey, if you're not producing something that could be uh, tapped into for those younger audiences, you're immediately out. And then secondly, if you don't have the scale that can produce, and by the way, you're covering that cost, produce a 5,000, yes. 10,000, yes. 20,000 run of free comics to be distributed, there's nothing you could do on that front either. So uh, yeah. neither by audience, nor by scale, nor by business model, even if you're in comic book shops, should you be producing something for free comic book day, you're just not the right person for whom that is designed to, to help. It's meant to help larger audiences bring in the next SpongeBob reader or the next Batman right. reader or the right. next Spider-Man reader. That's what it's meant to do. Not, not necessarily help you as an independent cartoonist who happens to be in comic book shops. Absolutely right. So Dave, let's take on another question from a Patreon backer. This comes in from Dennis who says, as AI art is becoming more popular and social media is in a state of transition, I'm hoping you can speak to the importance of brand building. At the end of the day, it seems to be the overall goal of independent cartoonists and really business in general. Then with that in mind, as we head into the new year, what are your top tips to successful brand building in 2023? So it's another, Dave, uh, actionable information uh, uh, topic here. Uh, let's talk first about what brand building is, how we can think about brand building, and maybe give some ideas on how to make that happen for your average uh, web cartoonist. Absolutely. So the most basic advice that I would give on uh, in terms of brand building is that when you recognize that your social media production is going to be different than the average person's social media production is that. Yeah. And what I mean by that is um, the average person is like uh, family and I went to Disneyland today. How fun. Love the corn dogs. Uh, uh, oh boy. Hey, just, just had this most amazing lunch at blankety blank. It was great. Oh, that kind of thing. They're talking about their day. They're talking about their social sphere. They're talking about what's going on in their life. All of which is fine. You could, if you wanted as a cartoonist do that, but I would say that your feed is probably more geared towards not so much what you're doing and what's happening to you in a narcissistic way, but mm -hmm. what things that you're producing can bring your audience entertainment, joy, repeated uh, viewings, right? And yeah. you can see the basic delineation there is that most social media is, here is what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. A branded cartoonist is most often saying, here's what I'm producing that you can enjoy. And here yeah. are thoughts that I'm having that you might delight in, that kind of thing. It's a different right. way of looking at social media, a narcissistic look versus an outward entertainer look. Brad, when you think on the most bare bones level, that's brand, the first step of the branding is to realize that you're not the narcissist, you are the entertainer. To a degree, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you can, as as somebody building a brand, you can share from your own thoughts. Sure, right? sure. With with the with the thrust being uh, obviously entertainment, uh, and and also we've got to always note here to the degree that you're comfortable doing with the to the degree that you feel safe sharing uh, from your yes. own life. Uh, but there is a real disconnect there between what Dave uh, is is calling the narcissistic uh, uh, social media user and somebody building a brand. For example, your your garden variety social media user thinks nothing about talking about things like politics or religion on their social media, right? If you're building a brand, that might not be the smartest thing for you to do, 
right? It might be right. smarter it for might, you to but stay. it might not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, depending on what your brand is. Here's I so yeah, I would co-sign everything that Dave just said and I would take it one step further. When you're thinking about your brand, uh, and this is really I I want you to do this at home if you if you're working on a comic. Your brand consists of two things. What you represent and what your comic represents. And I'm willing to bet dimes to donut that you've got a pretty good idea of the former and you might not have a good idea at all about the latter because you've never thought about it in that kind of framework, right? What does not, not what's your comic about, which by the way, I've talked to lots of cartoonists that, that have a hard time answering that question. What's my comic about? And, mm-hmm. and by the way, not in a, not in a snotty way. I say that either. Sometimes if you ask a single panel comics artist, what the comic is about, that might be a little bit of a challenge to answer right off the bat. So uh, they, you got to take that with a grain of salt, but what, what do you represent and what does your comic represent take some time and take an afternoon and really think about that and and try to come up with maybe five or six uh either keywords or phrases that uh culminate in what you represent what your comic represents and then if you start to build uh, uh social media posts around those phrases you will be taking the first step to focusing your brand building Yeah. And uh, I'll just take a swing at this in terms of what I represent on my social media feed versus what my comics represent. Right. Both Sheldon and Drive. I would say if I had to shrink down my brand online in social media for me, not my comics, for me, I think friendship is probably a word that would resonate pretty strongly for how I try to interact like for the most part. I really do try to be friendly, optimistic, warm, engaging um and and say hey even when life sucks be like hey pals life sucks sometimes doesn't it but because that's that is kind of my personality and so it is it's not a faux thing that is kind of how i interact anyone's ever met me at comic-con i am pretty chipper and 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 bouncy and optimistic and you know snappy and click clacky so it's it's a natural outcropping of of who i am but it's also i think the way i try to interact with the world i try not to go negative i try not to um to share my foibles that might make someone else's life worthwhile in the same way that you're trying to hold up and support your friends. You're trying to make their life better. And that's what I, and so for my comics, I think the, 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 the sort of crystallizing word for Sheldon, I think is joy. That's what I try to do with Sheldon. The brand there is joy or it's optimism. Um, with with drive, maybe it's a little bit more squishy in the sense that it's probably a joy filled escapism. I want them. I want people to be able to dive into a story, to be intrigued by it, to right? that. That becomes longer sentences. But so I think it's escapism and joy. Yeah. For you, what is your crystallizing words for Brad Geiger as a brand versus what your comics are as a brand? Oh, gosh. Well, mine, uh, number number one is upbeat and happy, right? I, I, I always want to be upbeat, happy, optimistic, which I know is one that I, yeah. I share with you. Sex positive comes up an awful lot mm-hmm. with the stuff mm-hmm. that I do. Not necessarily, you know, not like, a, hey, here's somebody in a bikini, but uh, but more to the point, taking a positive view towards sex and sexuality and and taking an optimistic, uh, uplifting kind of, uh, which as, as silly as that sounds, doesn't always happen <laughs> quite so much with that subject. So it's something that I like to insert into that as well, that kind of sense of, 
uh, of, uh, if you will, fun, friendly kind of sex positive uh, nature. Also, also, uh, it kind of for me, it's an old school sense of humor. Vaudevillian comes up an awful lot in conversations uh, just between you and me, and and I like that old school approach to humor and right, and right. those sorts of issues. That fits really well within my genre within that, right. and also old uh, like an old school comics fan. Uh, you know, and, 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 and kind of a comics history. A lot of the stuff that I do in evil Inc points directly towards uh, a superhero comics that we read in the seventies, eighties, and even nineties. I don't keep as much touch with them today for lots of different reasons, but a lot of the stuff that I'm writing kind of has a touchstone in those seventies and eighties comics that we all, or many of us kind of fell in love with. So those are some of the touchstones that I would reach back to. And I kind of keep in the back of my mind. I, I got to tell you, Dave, I probably delete uh, 50% of all of the social media uh, posts that I write. Mm-hmm. 50% of them. I would I say look, that's probably true with me too. Yeah. Yeah. I look at it and, 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 and like here, like I can say something sarcastic and we can laugh about it and I can give it a little spin. So it's like, all right. I made a sarcastic comment, but we're having fun. We're not really too serious. It's okay. If I say, if I put that same thing into words and you don't get the emotion uh, that comes across and you don't get the tone of voice and you don't get the, uh, you know, the elbow to the ribs kind of uh, 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 delivery, uh, it sounds really mean and nasty. And right. I don't want that in my social media. Mean and nasty is not necessarily my uh, my my best branding, right? It it definitely comes out every now and again in a sarcastic way where I can voice it a certain way. But if I put it into into social media, if I just allow it to be written in text, oh man, people would be rightfully upset with me because I'm I'm being a grouch, right? So. Uh, I, I, I'd say I, I delete 50% of what I write on social media because it isn't on brand for me. I do the same. And it, well, often when I, when I'm about to hit delete, I go, do people need this from me? And is this what yes. people expect from yeah. me? You know, and that's, uh, and it's not, it's not self-editing in the sense that like, I know I don't need to share a complaint or a grumpiness of the day, you know, and occasionally I will just on a human level. But so in yeah. terms of getting back to Dennis's question, um, in terms of what are your top five tips or tools for successful yeah. brand building? Number one, I think, is probably going to be uh, know who you are and what you are yes. and what you represent. And that you can course correct that if you want. I have known friends who are, let's just be honest, they're negative Nancys online in their social media. And uh, they every tweet from them is a complaint. And if it's not a complaint, yes. it's a it's a it's a, a wail to the heavens about something that's gone wrong. or the, yes. And you're like. A part of me wants to say you are in, you are an entertainer. You're trying to lift people out of their problems. And here you are sharing more of yours. Now, listen, on a human level, of course, that can also bring connection because some people might be like, oh, yes, I'm connecting with this complaint. I'm connecting with this. This woe is me uh, feeling. I get that. But I'm just saying, keep in mind as you as you go through your career that for the most part, you are trying to help people escape or alleviate or remove their problems, not add to their problems. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can't tell you how many people I've unfollowed because they they keep retweeting news items and 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 news or politics in my feed. And and I, I'm like, hey, listen, 
I, I know what's happening in the news. <laughs> right. I'm as disgusted about half of it as you are. Uh, I don't need you to tell me the news. I started following you because I liked what you were doing in comics. I want that. I don't want you to tell me the news. I, I'll handle news myself. I'm a big boy. I know where to find my news. I don't need a, <laughs> I don't need a cartoonist. Right. To t- it's honestly, and, 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 and that might be, uh, the, the, the polite word for it these days is problematic. I, that might be a problematic attitude to have, but I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. I've gotten rid of people. I've muted people. Uh, I've unfollowed people because it's like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't want this in my feed. So that's one tip. Know who you are, know what your comic is. I'm going to give you tip number two. And, uh, 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 maybe you'll be surprised, but as important as those two are, number two is also important know who your audience is. Think about it. Think about it. If you're brand, if you're branding a message and based on who you are, you should also think now, of course, your, your audience is not a monolith. They're not homogenized. It's not all one type of people. Right. We all get that, but give a little bit of thought towards who tends to gravitate towards your work and start to think about uh, uh, angling some of your messages towards those uh, types of demographics, right? That right. Uh, who are you speaking to? Uh, that's that's a really really good thing to keep in the back of your mind. If you don't know, it's time to start asking. We've talked on the show about doing a demographic survey before. You can do one super easy with Google Forms. It doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, but it just between doing those sorts of things, paying attention to your Patreon. Uh, who tends to back you on Kickstarter, who's following you on social media, who isn't a robot. Uh, Those are all things to help you to get a good idea in your mind who you're talking to. And along lines of knowing who your audience is and what they are and what they are not, I I would argue it's important to know what your art is not. And so here's what I mean by that. So like, let's let's take two huge Instagram artists, um, uh, Ross Draws and Lois VB, right? Both are famous. Lois, uh, she draws beautiful women beautifully. Her style is amazing. Ross draws beautiful women beautifully. There's also a thousand people that draw robots beautifully or spaceships beautifully, all right? There are illustrators that are known for a thing. But you couldn't, what I'm getting at is, They know and have leaned into what their art is because they also know what their art isn't. I know that my art is not to draw beautiful women beautifully. That's not what I do. It's neither my skill set nor is it what my audience expects from me, right? So by knowing what I am not, it helps me lean in better to what I can do. And I think, I I don't remember the quote perfectly from, from, I think if I was from George Shaw, but someone said that, you know, our time here on life, in, in this life is limited. So part of what your job is as an artist is to know what you can do most beautifully with the time you have in this life. Right. Yeah. And so I have leaned into the fact that my job is cartooning and humor and writing cartooning and humor. That's my job. I would love to do Spanish classical guitar. I don't have the time in this life to say that I could be a, a, a performer on stage in Spanish classical guitar. I would love to do it. I might, I might dip a toe into it, absolutely. But you have to choose on some level what you're gonna be. And so yeah. for a lot of my friends that are polymaths and say, I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm a cartoonist, I'm also a stage performer and I do I do improv and I do speeches. And I, it's like, you, on some level, you have to lean into what you could do most beautifully with the time you have in this life, you know? We all have, to some extent, a polymath abilities of being able to do or understand or master certain things, I get that. But 
in some respects, part of your branding is saying, what can I do most beautifully with the time that I have in this life? And and that's why I think knowing what you are not and knowing what your art is not is important. Yeah. And I'll just give you a couple more that I'll just throw in real quick. Number one, your logo. Your logo expresses an awful lot uh, Mm -hmm. in nonverbal terms. What you know, a lot about you as a as, and and your comics. Spend a little bit of time on your logo. Here's another great tip, and I and this I, I think goes back to a pro tip that I shared not too long ago. Start doing a weekly AMA column with your Patreon backers. AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. Comes from Reddit, and I have learned so much about who I am in their eyes as well as who they are in my eyes, what they're interested in from me, what they want to know about me. And it's all helping me shape my internal understanding of my brand uh, week after week, just in answering these questions. Not only that, but they'll ask you a question like, this is a great one. What brought you to comics? Your answer to that question is an exercise in branding. Right. And and, right. and not necessarily, well, I'm going to tell them what they want to hear, but but more when you write that, you get a better understanding of who you are as a creator. And that is your brand. Like we said at the very beginning of this topic, uh, my AMA column, and I've been doing it for several weeks now uh, at number one, the Patreon backers uh, respond very favorably to it. But the more that I do it, the more I'm understanding all these facets of personal branding, uh, because it, it's it's really a lesson in knowing who you are and knowing who your audience is. And and just a, a couple of quick more ones for me. Um, Brad had talked about logos, and I would keep a special eye when you are designing your logo as to how well it translates into what in the industry is called a bug. And a bug is the smallest printable version of your logo. So the Nike swoosh is just as recognizable at a quarter inch wide as it is billboard size wide. The McDonald's logo is just as recognizable at a quarter Mm -hmm. inch wide as it is billboard wise. So um, when you're designing your logo, what I'm getting at there is there's a certain clarity, a certain reductiveness that needs to be possible when you're designing it. The same might be said, too, for those of us that are leaning into um, our signature as our logo or our color palette as a branding technique. Um, I would say that all three of those can be very helpful in your visual family, helping you to establish a brand. If you're known for having 1980s colors, then lean into that with your coloring. If you're known for having a soft palette or a warm palette, like I'm thinking of uh, Scott C has a very warm um, earthy tones, very coffee colors for Scott C. Whereas um, oh, I'm thinking of another illustrator and I can't remember her name. She does uh, Marvel comics covers now. Anyway, she has a very a disco 70s color palette. Yes, so what yeah. I'm getting at is your color palette, along with your signature and your brand uh, logo can be a nice little family that all reinforces who you are, what you're looking at, what you're going to get when you see that brand, that logo, that signature, that color palette. Yeah. And, and, and color can be very, very important just in general in saying who you are, because myself over here, I'm green with envy. And I'll tell you why, because I know that you're going to get another great episode of comic lab next week, just as soon as we get done wrapping up this week. And I can't, I, I'd love to be you and, and, and find out what that episode is going to be. I won't know until it's too late. And that means that 
You'll once again, that was one of my worst transitions on record, but I'm going to, I'm going to power through. I'm going to power through anyway. I was, as a friend, I was just supportively listening, cheering you on, hoping you could land it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you just grinning through gritted teeth. So I better get to the part where I say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. And I will remind you, friends, sometimes Brad lands a plane. Sometimes there's a little bit of burning wreckage oh, on the oh. on the airport right outside of Bogota. The plane didn't quite make it. <laughs> Brad did his best to bring it in, didn't quite land that plane. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the excellent pilot of all of our hopes and dreams and the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my friend Dave Kellett, who reminds me that any landing you can walk away from is still a pretty bad transition, co-director of the comics documentary Stripped, and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And I will remind everyone that we walked away from that transition, but we all kind of had a limp, didn't we? We all kind of had a limp. <laughs> That's true. The Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode and all episodes was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show. Don't review the transitions, just the show <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. And on Spotify, where we are continually right at the top over there. Thank you so much. It, 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 this is It's a great way to show your support of the show. Like, like yeah, we always say, uh, join us on Patreon. But you're like, well, maybe I can't join you on Patreon. I don't have that in the bank account right now. This is free. A five-star review on Spotify is free. And it's going to make you feel good. It's going to make me feel good. It's going to make everybody feel good. Just wait and see how much you're smiling. <laughs> and, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your continuing support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So I will go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. So, Brad, you know how you, we ate at the Piner Cafe and you yeah. came up with the better version, which is Piner Diner? But yeah. come on, that's fantastic. <sighs> I, in a similar vein, I'm down in San Diego and I'm visiting my brother-in-law and I'm driving around and I see this truck that has the sign called Ruckle Construction, R-U-C-K-L-E Construction. The family name is yeah. Ruckle, okay? Ruckle. And I turn to my brother-in-law and I go, oh, you know what would have been better? They should have called themselves Ruckle Constructle. And he goes, he goes, how the hell is that? better from any branding standpoint how the hell is ruckle constructle better than Speaking ruckle of good branding yeah <laughs> ruckle constructle that's a that's a business title only clicky mcrobot mcgee could appreciate <laughs> oh my god constructle constructle sounds like a brand of ice cream like do you want Ro do you want rocky roller or do you want constructle today Oh, yeah, it's, it's very much a brand that, that originated in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. going to want to try the Constructle. It's got extra <laughs> peanut in there. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs>